0: Good morning. Is this, is this working? Can you hear me? Thank you, Major Lum. was really a privilege to be here. It does feel like coming home. as We've worked on this for several years, as you can recall. And it was a privilege to sit in a front row seat and watch God work. This place is, um, is full of his spirit. We saw it from the worship team. We saw it from the confirmation of the folks on this stage, the goal of this place was always, as as Phil said, to have God at the center. And that is not always the case. But let's pray. Lord, we ask you just to be here with me today. Lord, I just ask through your spirit that you get me out of the way and that your spirit speak to the folks today. Christ's name we pray. Amen. My purpose is threefold. One is to encourage the believers. A few folks that's on the fence perhaps to get you a little closer to meeting the Christ that we believers know. And thirdly is to encourage you to spend more time in the Word. I didn't always do that, but I can tell you I am a an evangelist for God's scripture. Uh, it's a passion that I'd like to share with you today. Um, I'm going to be speaking from one of his many books, and this is the book of John. The book of John, to me, is this a special book. In some ways, some, some scholars call it the Holy of Holies. It is, um, especially in the middle of that book, in chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and some of 17, You have a few hours of of Christ speaking to his disciples, and it's powerful. I'm going to spend most of the time in uh, chapter 14, and let me just kind of acquaint you with the setting It is indeed the Last Supper. It's called the Upper Room Discourse because mostly it's Christ speaking to 11 guys, 11 guys that are confused. The 12th guy, you know, is Judas, and he's gone off to do his business. And um, so we have Christ speaking to the disciples because he knows that in just a few hours, Christ is going to leave that room with his friends, and he's going to pray outside. But then he's going to make his way through this dark, dark city called Jerusalem. Because It's pretty late at night. He's going to go through this small gate, go through the Kidron Valley, He's going to a garden, and there he's going to pray to his father and pray so earnestly that he has blood coming through his skin. The doctors tell me that is very possible in a time of distress. And as we know, he'll be arrested falsely. He'll be accused. He'll be tried. And the next day, the next day, he'll be on a cross at Calvary. And at 3 o'clock, he'll be dead praise God, we have Easter. He'll be resurrected. But here he is in chapter 14. He's not worried about the next 15, 18 hours that he's going to be on earth about himself. He's worried about these 11 guys. And he begins it with 14. Do not let your, 14 verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled, he tells these fellows. You believe in God. Believe in me also. Then in later, later in that chapter in 27, Jesus says, he's still speaking about this notion of a troubled heart. He's concerned about their heart. All the things he could be concerned about in these last few hours, he's worried about these guys' heart. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give, you, give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Interesting, of all the things he could talk about, this, this issue of a troubled heart is a condition that the medical folks tell us is anxiety, is the condition of the heart. Some of us call it worry, we call it frustration, anger, uneasiness, and if this, this persists, it's called depression. And it comes from a variety of different places, from the past, the hurts that we bring, to the present. It comes from all kinds of places. Sometimes we worry about real things, and sometimes we worry about things that are not real, but it's certainly real. It could be our finances, it could be our relationships, it could be our health. It could be things that we've lost. It could be things of uncertainty about the future. I can assure you personally that I have a story, as you all have a story, of when you've been anxious. Everyone here has had a troubled heart, and that heart is connected to the soul. When you have a troubled heart, you have a troubled soul. My story is very briefly, as just not that many years ago, I lost my wife to breast cancer. She was the love of my life, she was the mother of my children, she was my best friend. She left me with an 8-year-old and a 12-year-old. That gives you trouble, anxiety about the future. Everyone has a story. That's why he spent so much time talking about the heart, because that's what gets penetrated. 800 times the word heart is mentioned in Scripture. It is the top 10 noun of all Scripture, more than heaven. So It's got to be important. If he's spending that last few precious hours talking about these fellows' heart, goodness, we should understand it a little bit better. Let's open that book and try to understand it. What is this heart about? What 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 is a heart from a biblical perspective? The heart is the source of our will. It's our intent, it's our thoughts, it's our character, it's the source of our motivation, it's what drives us to action. It is our center. It is our personality. It is different than our physical bodies. As I said, it's, it's part of our soul. It's where our core values come from. It's where our attitudes are forged. It's how we make our decisions. It's when we say those unguarded words. It's how we view ourselves, And it's how we view God. It comes from our heart. Proverbs 23.7 summed it up like this. At, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So the heart is indeed important. And God teaches about our heart. If you go to the Old Testament in Ezekiel 36, I think it's on the slide behind me, 36:26. God says these words. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. When you and I were converted, born again, we were given this precious heart of God. A heart that can love like God. A heart that can see people through God's eyes. This heart is a precious, precious gift. We have an amazing, amazing heart. But something was missing with these fellows. They had that heart. They had that heart. But if we read in that same chapter, that precious chapter, those few verses which I challenge you to read, that these guys are still confused. If you look uh, in the verse 4, you have Thomas, because Jesus has told him, I'm going away. And, and the disciples are saying, in fact, Jesus says to him. You know the way to the place where I'm going. But they're confused. What do they say? Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Add the heart, but there's something missing. Listen to it. And Jesus answers, I am the way in verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. This is that second piece that's missing. You've got the heart, but you've got to know the way. That he's telling them that there's something else beyond that heart. Because remember in Ezekiel it said, we got a new heart, but we also get what? A new spirit. But also in chapter 14, Jesus introduces them to someone else, to another person, another part of that trinity that the divisional commander was talking about. This person called the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, the word is paraclete. Fancy word, but what does it mean? It's interesting when you look at these words, it means a helper. Someone that comes to your aid in time of distress. That's what the Holy Spirit is. I call the Holy Spirit a little bit like Rodney Dangerfield. He doesn't get any respect sometimes. Because we don't tend to know him. We know about Christ and the Father God. But sometimes the Spirit seem to focus on him. The Salvation Army certainly does. That's what they bring to the mission field, is the spirit. I, it helps me to understand it because I, if you look through Scripture and, and look at the various descriptions, he's called the helper, the consoler, the advocate, the intercessor, the teacher, the counselor. That's what he brings. He brings a heart, and he also brings this spirit. But why is Jesus bringing up this spirit at this point? Well, this spirit, he's been around a while. You go back to Genesis, verse 2, chapter 1. The spirit is hovering over the waters. Creation was through the spirit. But the spirit is different here. Christ is introducing him as something different because he's leaving, but he's going to leave this spirit because we needed that spirit. What is the role of the spirit? How does it intersect with our lives? I have it as the three Ps. Pastors love these these letters and these numbers. Let me walk through it. He offers us purpose. He offers us presence. He offers us power. First, the purpose. And all three of these go to help that troubled heart tremendously. The Holy Spirit teaches and guides us to understand the purpose for our life. When we know the purpose for our life, we have direction. We have a sense of a calling. Only through him can we find that calling. That's the perfect place where he wants us to be. Where we're going to be so blessed. Then he gives us a presence. It's through the Holy Spirit we have the ability to experience Christ in a real way. In a real way. Personally. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. Personal relationship. We have that personal security. That's how we can walk with our hand in Christ's hand. That spirit gives us that capacity. And last is the power. He gives us the power to to see people through his eyes. To have that heart that only God gives us the power to walk away from sin. To make righteous decisions. Which simply means that we make the right decisions. It gives us the power to be holy. That's a fancy word. It simply means to be set apart for his purpose. That spirit is, is, is amazing. So God's given us a heart and he's given us a spirit. But still, there's something missing. You can have trouble. Why is that? There's something else he did in chapter 14. Something else. Because he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you but he talks about peace. How do we get that peace? One of the problems is that I know for me that doesn't, uh, isn't one of those P's is this thing called a plan. I see a lot of military folks here. We all want a plan of action. We, we, want, we want to know uh, where we're going before we set out because if you don't know where you're going, you probably won't get there. But In God's world, he doesn't give us a roadmap sometimes. Yes, he can give us a gift of prophecy. He can give you revelation about things. But we humans want the answer to all the questions of why and how and where. A lot of times we go in prayer to ask God to bless our plan rather than what prayer's purpose is, is to ask him to reveal his plan for us. Right. So so this notion of plan is important because it separates this concept of faith and trust Because really what he's asking us to do is to trust. And sometimes we get that kind of mixed up. You know, it says in Psalms that your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. The reality is that lamp's not very bright. It's just a candlelight. So sometimes that path is not that clear. And I think that's purposeful. Because it requires us to rely on him, to rely on his plan. But let's, let's look at it, this trust versus faith. Faith is, we all, as believers, we have faith. But the challenge is, do we have trust? Do we trust in him? Faith is knowing God can help me. That's faith. Knowing God can help me. But, here, but that's, a, that's a noun. You've got to convert that noun to a verb. Hear this, trust is knowing God will help me. That's harder. That's faith in action. So the second, third piece of all this is taking that faith and moving it into trust, leaning on God. So we're believing in his plan for our lives. And then as we close, something else that Christ did in chapter 14. What did he do? Excuse me, in early part of 13, flowed into 14. What did he do? He washed the feet of these men including Judas. It was an act of humility, but it was an act of an object lesson. He said, you don't understand this now, but you understand it later. And only now do I begin to understand it. You know, we, we walk in this world and we collect dirt. This world is has sin in it. And we accumulate that. And we need to wash our feet. We need to wash that sin from our feet to cleanse ourselves. And only through Christ can we cleanse ourselves. We ask God for forgiveness, for purity. He says that, the psalmist taught us in verse 51, 10, create in me a pure heart. That's the prayer. The simple prayer. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. That's when we can see God. That's when we can see. And God is so merciful, so gracious in that process when he washes us. We have a wonderful God who purifies our hearts and washes the dirt of the streets off of us daily if we need it. Matthew 5, 8 says it this way. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see. When we see God, it cures troubled hearts. cures. Remember the lesson from Peter. When he crawled out of that boat with his eyes focused on Christ, he was walking on water. But what happened when he started focused on the wind and the waves? He got wet. So as long as we're focused on the circumstances rather than on Christ, that's when our heart gets troubled. What a lesson. We've all heard this last verse and put it on the screen in Philippians 4-6. It's something I try to to focus on daily in my devotional because it's so easy to forget. Do not be anxious about anything. That's a lot. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Peace that transcends all understanding, all human understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And those holy of holies, those four chapters, in chapter 16, he sums it up in verse 33 this way, and I'd like to leave you with this, what Jesus said. He simply said, I have told you all of this. He told all of this so that you, he told these disciples and to us, have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome you.